Thanks, Jason. Good morning. How we doing? Is that too loud? I don't know. I think it's probably okay. How are you car people doing? Anyone out there? Sorry, these people can never see me. I'm gonna I'm coming to the door to wave to you car people. You guys hear me? Hey! We love you, car parking lot people. All right, let me get my act together here. And uh, we are back in Acts. And uh, just a recap from last week. We were finishing up with this really sweet and intimate scene of uh, Paul together with these Ephesian elders. And uh, we could see the sweetness of what was going on there. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed, and they all wept as they embraced and kissed him. And so we talked about who are the people in your life who've been the real deal for you. And we've all known about people who, for so many different reasons along the way, they, they've gotten tripped up with things. They have not proven to be faithful to you or for faithful to the Lord. And yet among God's people, among us here in this room, there is a marked difference. A marked difference. So the elders' kisses and tears, they're a testimony to the kind of impact that Paul had on their lives. And we thank the, the Lord for the people that uh, God has put into our lives who are the real deal. But remember, and I didn't get a chance to talk too much about this, but just mention it, but part of the process of discipleship is to take the faith of our fathers. It is to take the strength and investment that these special people have poured onto us and uh, to take that and invest that in others. That is the process of discipleship. We become the real deal for those who are coming after us. As... uh, uh, I, just, I guess I'm getting more comfortable that I'm willing to do this. As Yoda used to say, pass on what you have learned. So that is a, what we're supposed to be about, passing on what we have learned. And of course, when we talk about these kinds of things, there's a long list of all of our failures that the enemy will put into your mind that'll hold right there We think of all of our shortcomings. We think of all of our unrealized potential. And we think, I can never be the real deal. I just can't do it. So as an encouragement for all you fakers, all you liars, all you con men, and all you tricksters, that should cover about all of us. You know how you become a saint? You just do the next right thing. And then the next right thing after that, as the Lord shows it to you. And it's just a case-by-case thing that over time you build habits of faithfulness. You build habits of just doing the right thing in the Lord. So Paul, he passes on the baton to these Ephesian elders, and it's a sweet picture of loving relationships in the church. 
Um, and now these Ephesian elders need to become the real deal for people coming after them. And we also said that you cannot become the real deal apart from repentance and faith. There's always going to be repentance. That means course corrections. There's always going to be faith. That means a vision of things bigger than yourself. Our lives, do you know how you become the real deal? Our lives have to be so Christ-focused that it isn't about my own perfection anymore. It is about Christ's perfection. And my life becomes so Christ-focused that in the Holy Spirit, the perfection of Jesus Christ, it becomes our perfection. The holiness of Jesus Christ, it becomes our holiness. And it's expressed in the way we live our lives. Another way to look at this is, I'm not living as a slave anymore, serving out of obligation. I have been given the heart of a son who loves his father. And it's my joy to do my father's will. It's a joy to make my dad proud. That's how you become the real deal. All right, so we've given this sweet picture between Paul and the Ephesian elders. And now the story moves on. It says, After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. And the next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia. We went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria and we landed in Tyre where the ship was to unload its cargo. So just to get our map out here, so you see Kos and then Patara and the Asian Minor and then they sail all the way just they have, they're in sight of Cyprus, and then they make it over to Tyre, where the ship unloads. And it says, finding the disciples there, we stayed with them for seven days. So we're given this picture of Paul with the Ephesian elders, where Paul had spent a lot of time with these people. And now we're given this little picture, this sweet picture of... Uh, Another way Luke shows us the sweetness of the family of God. Over the course of years, as in the case of the Ephesian elders, or, or now just for a week, a week with people that Paul may not even have known personally. That's another way that the family of God works and the family of God functions. In our modern time with our sense of independence and our love of convenience, uh, we tend to be a bit more cautious about who we have into our homes and who we are willing to uh, put out for on our behalf. Am I willing to inconvenience you with my presence? You know, we're, we tend to be very sensitive about that. But even still, the way we are today, we still have ways to find the friends of Jesus, don't we? You ever have these experiences where you just discover people and you realize this is a Jesus friend? This is someone who loves the Lord. And uh, one of the things about being a missionary, and especially being a missionary kid, so I'm told, is that you tend to make friends very quickly. You have to make friends quickly. Maybe kids who've grown up in the military, they learn how to make friends quickly a lot of times because you don't know how circumstances are going to change and how you're going to have to move on. So I remember times when our Sadie would drag a kid up to us and say, hey dad, here's my new best friend. And I would say, Sadie, what's your best friend's name? 
And she would look at them and say, what's your name? (laughs) But being a disciple of Jesus, it does mean something. And the closer a disciple is to Jesus, the more Jesus-filled their life is, the more easily they will be, and more quickly, they will be recognized by other disciples of Jesus. We're able to find each other in the Lord. And so there's a sweetness, a sincerity, a genuine love The Holy Spirit does a work to open our hearts to each other, to recognize each other. Something in us vibrates in the presence of other godly people. And so being a disciple, uh, Paul is able to just go and he's, he's with people who maybe didn't know him before this. But being a disciple, it means something. And they have a place to stay and they have a sweet time of fellowship, even if it's just for a week this time. Um, And so he has this week of hospitality and fellowship together with these people, but then something also interesting happens. It says this, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. They didn't know him maybe before this. We don't know the extent of relationship, but through the Spirit, they urged Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go there. But the Holy Spirit had already told Paul that he needs to go to Jerusalem. Paul had already been told, uh, already said it was the Spirit who was compelling him to go to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 20, verse 22 and 23. And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So some of the sweetness of the Lord is revealing to Paul the hardships that he's going to have to face. So who has the Holy Spirit? Because they seem to be saying conflicting things. Do you see that? So we're stepping into this interesting place. This is great. I think that this is a good lesson for us. This interesting confluence, if you will, of communication from the Spirit that's given to multiple people who represent multiple free wills who make multiple interpretations about the course of action that needs to take place. Do we get that? That there seems to be some differences here. (coughs) So let's just hold on to that for a second and we'll talk about that again in a moment. But when our time was up with these disciples in Tyre, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and their children accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. And after saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. So uh, don't miss that Luke is showing us just a window into the way discipleship happens. It's not just these trained professionals who do these things and we sit back. This is discipleship done well. It involves the whole demographic of who we are. Our single people, our married people, our older people, our younger people. It's all supposed to be a sweet fellowship that with any, any demographic of this that was taken out, it would make it something different and something less than it was meant to be. 
So discipleship done well, it is a family affair. Men, women, children have all enjoyed the blessing of this week of fellowship. And the fellowship must have been sweet because to honor their visitors, the entire household is farewelling them, walking down to the ships with them. Not just the the head of the households, the entire families are heading are heading uh, out with their guests while they get on a ship to head south. So the Lord, he brings all kinds of people together, and we get to enjoy fellowship for a time, and then we move on. With the Ephesian eldership, it was working together over the course of many years. With the disciples from Tyre, it's just a short window of fellowship, just a week, that they get to enjoy that fellowship. And God uses all of it to build his church. He uses all of it to build his church. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed in Ptolemais where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven who had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So we can look on our map here. We're all the way over in Judea, on the Judean coastline. They landed in Tyre and heading south. So they've arrived in Caesarea, and they find Philip the evangelist there, uh, one of the seven. So the last time we saw Philip, he was one of these guys that the apostles chose to wait on tables to take care of all of the widows of the church in Jerusalem. And then later we saw that he's this amazing evangelist. He goes to Samaria, and then he has this experience with the Ethiopian eunuch explaining to him these, these scrolls from the prophet Isaiah. And the last time we heard from Philip uh, was the end of Acts chapter 8, where he appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospels in all of the towns until he reached Caesarea. Well, apparently things stuck in Caesarea, and he used Caesarea as his place of operations. And uh, he's there so long, he he has a family, and he raises a family there in Caesarea. He's a spirit-filled man, and then we also see that that legacy of faith, it lives on in his family because he has these four daughters who prophesy. So Paul, he gets to go and enjoy this hospitality of Uh, this other godly missionary uh, who's there in Caesarea on the coast. So these are both seasoned evangelists for the Lord. And uh, can you imagine the kinds of stories these guys had to share with each other? I, I mean, there's some great conversations I would love to be in on uh, in the Gospels first and foremost, but This is another one. Wouldn't you just love to be a fly on the wall to hear these two people who had been so formed with this relationship with the Lord that they just become these amazing missionaries, this kind of drive that they have uh, for obedience and honoring the Lord in their lives. So it says, uh, after we had been there for a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. 
So first, we have the Holy Spirit compelling Paul to go to Jerusalem from Acts 20, 22. And then we have disciples in Tyre who through the Spirit urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And then finally, we have this prophet from Judea who comes and says, the Holy Spirit says, in this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So who has the Holy Spirit? Who has the Holy Spirit? Luke is very clear that they are all filled with the Spirit. They're all acting from this this information that the Spirit is sharing with them. Paul's desire, the disciples at Tyre, the prophet Agabus, Paul's traveling companions who then urge him not to go, they're all acting from a place of listening to the Holy Spirit. And so then we have to ask the question, well, what is the difference? What's the difference between these occurrences? When we heard this, we and all the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Paul, don't do this. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. When he would not be dissuaded, the Lord's will be done. Just like the Spirit had warned Paul, the Spirit had also warned a lot of other disciples about the dangers that lie ahead. That much is clear. The difference is Paul wants to face these dangers head on. And the disciples want to avoid unnecessary danger and hardship. They, they're doing this from a place of love. They want to protect their beloved Paul. But the, pro, the, the difference for Paul is he's at this point, he is no longer operating from a place of self-preservation as his primary motive. You know how rare this is? Every one of us operates, by and large, from the narrative of self-preservation, taking care of number one. And yet Paul, in this place of intimacy with this Lord, he's moved to a place where his first concern is not that. His first concern is obedience to the mission of God. You see the beauty of that kind of heart, too? You see the beauty of the disciples wanting to protect Paul? You see how that's beautiful in the Spirit? This is all coming from a place of love. The Holy Spirit tells everyone about the danger. Out of love for Paul, they want to protect them. Out of love for the Lord, Paul is willing to walk into danger. It's all of this coming from a place of love. So what do you do when people will not be dissuaded? What do you, you try your best, you warn them, you give, give them the words of encouragement or admonition that you believe the Holy Spirit is giving you? What do you do when people will not be dissuaded? 
when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. The Lord's will be done. So is Paul being stubborn? You better believe it, he is. But why is the question. It's from a desire to fulfill the will of the Lord. I think this is a crucial lesson for us. Do you remember the disagreement that Paul and Barnabas had over John Mark earlier in Acts? It becomes so heated over what to do with John Mark that Paul and Barnabas, these good friends, are like, we've got to go our separate ways. Who does the Holy Spirit go with? Who do the brothers in Antioch bless? All of them. All of them. And Barnabas does this work of redemption with John Mark where later on Paul himself says, send me John Mark because he's useful to me in my ministry. And we know about Paul's drive as a missionary. And he, the Lord brings all of these Timothy, Silas, Titus, all of these others who the Lord raises up then to be discipled by Paul. The Holy Spirit is using all of this. He is the story of Acts. The Holy Spirit is the story of the book of Acts. So now in Acts chapter 21, the Holy Spirit has everyone's spidey senses going off. They're all aware of danger in Jerusalem. They all know that there's danger in Jerusalem now. They have an interp- a different interpretation, though, of what needs to be done. And now the reason I'm centering on this this morning, I think that this is an important lesson for us. And this is so crucial for us because of this reason. We are very quick to make judgments. Person- we would never share this with others, but we are very quick to keep a little running tally in our minds about who has the Holy Spirit who is acting in the Spirit and who is not. Who is acting in a place of submission to the Spirit and who in their stubbornness is running from the will of the Lord and the Spirit. We are very quick to make those judgments in our minds. We keep a running list a lot of times. And the curious thing about this is as I make that list in my mind, uh, the ones who are not listening, listening to the Holy Spirit, they always tend to be the ones who disagree with me. But I'm sure that's just a coincidence. So in Acts 21, the Spirit is giving the same warning, but the interpretation of what needs to happen, it's different between these people. And it's all coming from this place of love. And let me also just point out, Paul isn't being difficult for the sake of being difficult. We know that Paul changes his mind. We have seen this already. Chapter 19 with Ephesus, uh, with the riots in Ephesus. Paul wanted to appear before the crowds, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. Remember this whole Demetrius and the silversmiths and the the riots that they caused in the theater in Ephesus. 
Paul wanted to go address them. The disciples would not let them. Paul submitted to their will. And we also know that Paul is not jumping into danger just because he's trying to be a martyr or looking for danger. That's not his idea either. Because just in chapter 20, it says, because the Jews made a plot against us, but against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia instead. He's changing directions to avoid danger. He doesn't have a death wish. The biblical narrative shows us that we can have different opinions and different interpretations on how best to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he's still working with all of us. Can we trust that? Can we assume that of each other? In the end, these people who see things differently than Paul, they have to surrender Paul to the will of the Lord. So fast forward to us here today, 2020. This crazy year we've been living in. We assume that the Spirit helps give us guidance in our lives. And that is correct. The problem is how quickly we judge and assume of others that the Spirit's not working or they're not listening in their lives. How quickly we are to put that on others. Oh, this isn't a Spirit-filled church. Oh, they just don't get it. They're just working from a narrative of fear. Oh, these people, they're just stubborn. They just don't know how to submit. It's, the problem is how quickly, how quickly we are to judge the intentions and the hearts of our brothers when we really don't know. We don't know. And that's not a safe place to be and a good thing to be doing. So the bigger question for us as a church then, I think, is not that we agree on everything 100%, but how are we growing together in love for God and love for each other? How are my decisions helping advance the mission of God? Have I taken my eyes off something in, uh, in order to judge the motives of my brother's heart? That's the question we need to ask. Paul's will is set in stone. He will not be dissuaded. But this strength, it comes from a place where his one desire is fulfilling the mission that God gives him. That's Paul's heart. He knows there's danger. But because of his love for the Lord and because the Spirit has put this on his heart, he's willing to walk right into it. So I would say when issues arise that we interpret differently, I think a good job for us to all do is check the purity of your own heart and the purity of your motives. Your actions and the assumptions that you're making which drive your behavior, it all comes from your heart. Ask yourself this question, who's being honored by this? 
Who is being blessed by this? Who is being hurt by your stands that you're making? What fruit is being produced with where you are standing on this issue? Whatever that issue is. Is it the fruit of the Spirit? Is it the fruit of the Spirit? I have to ask myself this question regularly, and this is embarrassing. You think you get past this as a preacher. But the things that I am feeling strongly about and I'm standing firmly on and I'm saying, hey, this is what I think needs to happen. I have to check my motives and say, is this coming from a place where I'm trying to glorify God or am I trying to glorify my, and justify myself? You know, over time, patterns of behavior will be revealed. The truth of Scripture is this, in the end, by their fruit, you will recognize them. What is the fruit of your lives? What is the fruit that is being produced from all the places where you stand and all the places that you're, you, you are trying to work with the Holy Spirit? Who are the people who consistently don't play nice with others? Who, whenever there's a conflict, they seem to always be in the middle of it somehow. There are no doubt that there are disciples of the Lord who are mature in so many ways. And yet they have never learned the lesson of spiritual submission. And they fail to produce the fruit of the kingdom because of that. And then there are those who are so quick to keep a running tally in our minds of who is who's working with the Spirit and who is not. Instead of trying to worry about that, instead of doing this, we need to assume that the Holy Spirit is working all over the place. He's not absent from what's going on in this church. He's got his hands all over it. Look at your hearts. Assume that the Holy Spirit is more capable and competent than you are in knowing how to handle the tough cookies around us. He knows what he's doing. Can you trust this? Our task is to focus on love. Those disciples, they plead with Paul out of love. Paul, out of love for the mission of God, will not be dissuaded. Out of love, the disciples say, the Lord's will be done. Do you see a lesson there for us? Our task is to focus on the mission of God. Our task is to take the two by four out of our own eyes so that we can see this, this little tiny sliver in our brother's eye more clearly. Finally, our task is to know when to say with open hands, you know, the Lord's will be done with this. The Lord's will be done.
So interesting stuff. Assume, assume, brothers and sisters, that the Lord has got his hand on the will. He sees what's going on. He is moving forward his agenda and his purposes. And we get a decision. Am I going to be a part of that? Am I going to trust that? Am I going to trust that story, that God is in control and that he is here among us? Will I trust that? Find ways to trust that. So they move on then. After this, we got ready and we went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nason, who, uh, uh, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. No doubt he must have been a friend of Barnabas. Barnabas was this Levite from Cyprus as well. So this other guy who is practicing hospitality when we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly, and the next day, Paul and the rest of us, remember this big group of traveling companions with Paul? The brothers received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry, and when they heard this, they praised God. They had not seen Paul for years now. And then Paul shows up with this whole group of people. And they hear all of the stories of these churches. They see the generosity coming from these churches to the poor saints in Jerusalem. And it says, when they heard all of this, they praised God. They praised God. So this story continues on. All right, that's our sermon for today. And... Uh, this gets interesting too as uh, there's stuff that's going to be happening in Jerusalem uh, coming up. We'll get into that, uh, Lord willing, this next week. So my invitation to you, if you want the prayers of this church, uh, we are happy to do that. You let us know how we can stand beside you. You let us know how we can encourage you. We want to do that any way we can. Uh, and if you want to put the Lord on in baptism, uh, this is a place where you can do that too. So will you uh, stand with me and sing together?